This is the Creative Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lopez. Hope you enjoy this podcast. It's set up and designed for coaches, leaders, and influencers to share their stories and inspire others to share their stories as well, that we can all learn together as a community and get better every day. So thank you for listening. You're season two. Today's guest is Nick Graham. Nick is a player development specialist and an author now of a devotional book called God in Basketball. We talked to him today about not compromising who you are, being a reflector for people to see their true identity, to develop as a leader, and we talk about this coaching journey as well. So I hope you enjoy this podcast and look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Yeah, what's going on, man? I'm just I'm glad to be here. Excited to talk talk basketball um, and just contribute to what you're doing, man. Thanks for having me. No, man, it's uh, I'm I'm honored that you came on. You took the time and made the time. I know your schedule's busy, and I know that uh, time is of of the value for all of us. And so, yeah, thank you so much. Now, I'm gonna start off like I do every podcast episode, man. And how are you introduced to the game of basketball coming out of Stillwater via Dallas? Yeah, so like my my way is, is unique, um, just because uh, you know I, I'm growing up. I was uh, always a kind of a daddy's boy and uh, wanted to be just like my dad. Like I was a kid that thought my dad was my superhero. Yeah. Um. So my dad was a college coach wow. six years before. I, I mean, a, a basketball coach six years before I was even born, and got his first college job at the age of two. Wow. So my dad, throughout my childhood, throughout my earliest memories, was uh, elite college assistant coach. Yeah. And so, like, basketball was, you know, like, in me before I had memories of making a decision. Like, it was just, a, like, basketball, my fondest memories was as natural to me as eating. You know, just <laughs> that's just what it was. Because, I, like I said, I, I gravitated um, – towards my dad, which meant in order for me to spend time with my dad, I had to, I had no choice but to love basketball, so. Yeah, no, your dad, Paul Graham, you know, was at, at different stops, head coach at Washington State, uh, was an interim at Georgia State for a while. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, that, those are, uh, you know, New Mexico State, Oklahoma State, Colorado is an assistant, SMU is an assistant, I mean, just very, very well known. And, and, and really got got into the profession. So, like, what, what was that like? You know, because at one at one point you were playing for your father. What what was that like for you? Honestly, man, it, it was uh, it was awful, <laughs> and I, that shocked people. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, I'm I'm a I'm a person of faith. Obviously, with the book, I know we'll get into that. But one of I listened to a lot of different pastors, and I I listened to them to you know like to feed my faith, but also yeah. just to encourage me. But one of the, the pastors that I listen to is Michael Todd. Yeah. Um, I really like him because I think that I identify with him because the way that I wrote my book is the way that he kind of preaches. Nice. Um, but anyway, he says uh, he, ha- he has the, the acronym HOT, H-O-T, Humble, Open, and Transparent. Nice. And I think that as leaders, you know, like 
I want to be as open as possible. I think so many times, um, our, those of us in leadership positions, you know, we don't want to keep it a buck. We don't want to keep it real, but we expect those we lead to. And wow. so, like, yeah, like, with that being said, like, it was it was tough. It was, I mean, it caused me to be uh, depressed for a few years, wow. you know, maybe even more than a few years when I got done. Um, and me and my dad have a, a great relationship now, but it was just tough because there was so much pressure placed on him. Yeah. And, you know, uh, it meant a lot to me that my dad was man enough to, you know, after the fact, realize that he didn't do a good good enough job of handling the pressure. So, wow. you know, like they said, like when you put pressure on yourself, it's going to affect the people closest to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so imagine having your son and you guys are close. Who do you think that pressure went from? It trickled down from him. He wasn't going to release it on to maybe the other players on the team. So it was just like I caught the brunt of it. And, yeah. you know, looking back at it as um, an adult that mentors athletes, it was just way too much for me to shoulder my 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old self to shoulder. So because of that, it, it was a very, very uh, tough time. It was a very, very dark time. Like, And I wouldn't change it for the world, one, because wow. like it was my dream. And my dad's dream for me to play with him. It was something that we talked about since I was, you know, three years of age. And even how it came about, uh, my dad, you know, um, my dad was, uh, obviously I'm black, so my dad's black. My dad was a black man, an African-American man, trying to make it through um, a system that was broken, that was set up for him to, to not do the things that he did because of, you know, uh, racial injustices, social injustices, and discriminations. Uh, so for my dad to, like, be a high major assistant as a black man in the late 90s, early 2000s, says a lot about him. Yeah. Um, you know, so, like, I wouldn't – but he got the job my at the end of my senior year in high school. And it's just a crazy story because he um, got turned down for job after job after job, even – despite being by far the most qualified person. And that's just not uh, me saying that because he's my dad. I mean, that's fact. I mean, my dad signed Larry Johnson when he was the number one player out of, out of out in the country. He yeah. signed wow. all these big-time players. Um, so his resume spoke for itself. He was in the, in the head assistant for Eddie Sutton, who, uh, God rest his soul, just passed away, was yeah. a Hall of Fame coach, yeah. and uh, went to the Final Four. He did. He checked all the boxes, but his his skin was a little too dark at that time. Wow. And, you know, like he applied for maybe close to 20 jobs and never got anything. And these are jobs that people assumed he'd be a shoo-in for. Was once told that uh, the craziest story was he was, the athletic director of South Alabama wanted to hire him. And he said, you know, I'm going to go introduce you to the president. So the door is open. My dad waits outside. The athletic director tells the president, you know, I've got our guy, Paul Graham, up on the state. And he said, uh, you know, uh, he's a black guy, right? We can't hire him. You know, so <laughs> those are some of the crazy. things that my dad overcame. But despite that, he kept fighting. Set an amazing example for me, but I was getting recruited my fresh, my senior year in college or my senior year in high school, and I was good enough to you know get recruited, you know play uh, Division One basketball, but I was not good enough for for coaches to wait around. So when coaches started calling, I was like, well, I'm gonna wait and see if my dad gets a head coaching job, which at the time sounded crazy because he had been turned down for 19 jobs. Yeah. And it was April, it was March of my senior year. The 
but you're like, I'm talking about shot clocks winding down or buzzers about to expire. People looking at me like, what are you going to do? Yeah. And I just had this faith that, that it was going to work out. So of all the times for him to get a job, it was right at my graduation, and I went on to play for him. So it's a cool story, obviously, how it happened. But just that pressure. It was a lot of pressure on him, and it was a lot of pressure on me. And so it was just uh, it was extremely, extremely tough. You know, going through that whole story and that whole progression, man, I feel like, you know, God's hand had to be on your life uh, for that to kind of work out to the degree that it did as far as, you know, still having a relationship with your dad and still, you know, being mature enough to look past all that and understanding the pressure that was on him. I mean, that's, you know, I'm not sure every parent-son relationship could work that way, you know, and still, still come out. Uh, cordial, <laughs> you know, even at the very least. I mean, sometimes it, it, it takes a toll, and it's a generational, also a generational thing that starts uh, snowballing. So that's great that you guys kind of fought through that and persevered through that. Man, for sure. I mean, it took time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, it, it took a lot of time, and it's still a work in progress, but uh yeah, I, I think I think it does speak a lot to, you know, our relationship and everything. I think that as you get older, you know, I think that obviously like when I was younger, um, I was, you know, angry. Yeah. But, you know, I think that as you get older you're able to take a especially like me being in this world and in this business. You know, I coached at Iowa State as a graduate assistant like three seasons ago. Yeah. And one of the reasons I, I, I kind of I, I've kind of taken a, a different path, mm-hmm. um, you know. But one of the reasons is is because um, I I've been around uh, competitive basketball long enough to to realize that if you don't have an identity in something that's going to keep you grounded, you know. For me being you know a faith person, a spiritual person, it is my faith. But even if even if that's not you, you got to have something because if not. This business will allow you to compromise the person that you set out to be. Wow. Wow. You're saying a lot there because that's hard for people to do, especially when they're climbing the ladder, so to speak. Like, sure. There's certain things that we'll say, I'll never do that. I'll always keep yep. my integrity. But when yep. nobody's watching, you know, what are yep. you doing? I mean, because that, to me, that's the definition of integrity. Is like yep. not what you're doing when people are watching. It's what you're doing when no one's watching. Those unseen hours, like Drew Hanlon talks about, like what do you? There's unseen hours in how you develop your character. There's unseen hours in how you deal with people, interpersonal stuff. And so, yeah, that's crazy. That's it's an amazing statement you made there about not compromising. That's just huge. So you know, I I'll just say that because we have a ton of coaches who tune in, and I hope that speaks to them. If someone if someone Look, done with that, I love to just expand on that even a little bit since that's the case. It's not even what you're. I would take it a step further, uh, because you know it's a it, it's a profession where um, you have to kind of like you have to draw a line in the sand morally before you step into it. Yeah, um, and it's not it, it, it's different like because that's the norm. Yeah. Uh, you know, like kind of like. You know, having you know, uh, compromising your integrity to win a game—that's that's become the norm. And everybody doesn't do that. I have amazing mentors like Rod Barnes, 
um, at Cal State Bakersfield, and, and you know, I look up to Tony Bennett, and um, you know, I got uh, Carlos Daniel, who's a strength coach at Vanderbilt. I have amazing, amazing mentors of integrity, and even my dad, obviously. Um, but everybody's not like that. But by and large, a lot of people are, especially if you're climbing up the ladder. The ladder is almost like you have to to to, to make a, a declaration that I am willing to lose my job to keep my integrity. Yeah. And hopefully you don't have to, but there's a chance where you're going to meet that fork in the road and you're going to have to decide what is it that I stand for, what are my non-negotiables in terms of my character, what will I not compromise. If you don't know those questions and you don't really take time to really establish that, yeah, you will look up and you'll be like, all the things that I thought I would never do, I'm doing. Because wow. like you said, it's easy to look on, look at it from the outside in and be like, I would never do that. But, you know, if I was going to be devil's advocate and speak in defense of coaches that maybe do some things that are immoral, that maybe are corrupt, that are compromising their inner moral compass, I would say, well, that's easy to say, but what do you do when you have a wife and you've got two kids at home yeah, and this yeah. is how you make your living? Yeah. You know, it's bigger than one person being corrupt. It's a corrupt system that almost forces a lot of people to either – Conform to the corruptness, or maybe they're phased out. Unfortunately. Wow, man, that's saying a lot, man. That really saying a lot. <laughs> like I said, I hope people who are listening and are dealing with these types of things, because it ain't for everybody, but it, it's for yeah. it's for a good number of people, I would assume. If it's a, sure. if it's a systemic type deal, but I appreciate yeah. you kind of here again expounding on that because that that's here again. That's what we're here for. This this platform is for coaches and for people who aspire to be coaches and it's 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 support system it's all that i mean it's everything you can imagine for coaches to just tell their stories and and get whatever knowledge and wisdom they've acquired through life and share that so i appreciate that now what was your experience as a player because everybody you know you talked about playing for your dad but beyond that or i would say internally from your lens what was it like as a player yeah, so it was like I said, man. Like it, it, it was, it was dark. It was lonely. It was tough. Um, you know, because like being a coach's kid, like my dad wasn't an established coach. I think if my dad was like some coach and he had already established himself, mm-hmm. that would be one thing. But this was his first year, and it was not even the the area of the country he's familiar with. So nobody knew him. Yeah. And so, like, that just made it extremely, extremely tough. But I don't regret anything because, like, I've literally, because of those experiences, been able to positively impact and help literally thousands of young athletes navigate um, through their uh, competitive basketball experiences. Because, like, I don't want anybody to ever feel uh, as dark and as lonely and as helpless as I felt at times. Wow. Um, you know, like my my dad, um he um if there was you know, I'm not saying I was and the other thing about it was I wasn't I wasn't uh so much better than the people that I was com- competing against that it was a no brainer. Yeah. Um so what would happen is is like I would be better than player A. I would be, you know, like it's not, without a doubt I'm better than him. But if it's close, he's going to play. And my dad would never explain that. And, 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 you know, like, to to just 
I remember my first college game. I played, uh, you know, you've been thinking about this your whole life, man. You walk into the locker room, it's the first time you see your name on the back of your jersey. I remember like it was yesterday. I couldn't sleep for like two days. Um, I'm like the sixth man, a backup point guard. I get in the game and, you know, I'm the point guard. We have a, you know, a, a quick hitter that we run when the shot clock's winding down. It's my first possession of my college career. Heart beating out my chest. Everything is so sped up. All of a sudden, I hear a buzzer. And I remember people yelling at me, but it was like one of those surreal moments where I couldn't hear anything. It was like mute. Yeah. Like I couldn't even process what they were saying. I see people pointing and yelling. And before I could process, the shot clock went out. Wow. My dad takes me out of the game and benches me the rest of the game. Wow. So that pretty much sums up the pressure that he placed on me. Another instance that, that stood out to me was, um, you know, he kind of reflected back. I think one of the players went in and said, you know, you you need to play Nick. He deserves to be playing. We're going to play Stanford. They're the number one team in the country. And he kind of tells me, man, you're probably going to play 20 minutes a game. You know, stay ready, keep working. So I'm excited, man. I'm getting extra reps, getting extra reps and all this. You know, he tells me this multiple times. Number one team on the road, Stanford, you know, guard gets two quick fouls. I'm taking off my warm-up top like I'm going in. Mm-hmm. He didn't put me in the game until like 40 seconds left in the second half. Wow. And never really just like, never really during that time explained it. Because it was almost like, well, that's Nick. He'll get over it. He's my son. And I would put a smile on my face like everything's cool. Yeah. And obviously, like, it wasn't. Because I probably loved being a part of that team, and it meant more than anybody because I'm a part of the team, but I'm also trying to help my dad and all this and that. But to be able to come from the ashes, I went from that, and I remember, like, it's when I, I feel like and basketball means so much to me because it forced me to, to transition from being a boy that made excuses that blamed everybody else, that wanted to pout, to become a man. Wow. You know, right? As you're yeah. transitioning and helping helping a young girl transition into a woman or a young boy to become a become a man, right? What do you tell them? Like, the world, like, you got to figure it out. Like, the world, you know, nobody cares about you. It's a doggy dog world. Yeah. Well, it's kind of easy for you to figure that out when your dad is not playing. You're like, dang, my dad don't even... <laughs> Because, you know, most of the yeah. time when you're not playing, your dad's ready to go rip the coach and do it. Well, I ain't have that. What? And I remember laying in the bed crying and praying. And I was just like, well, what can I do? Like, I, what can I do? As I matured, it was like, what can I control? Yeah. You know, you read all these quotes about control the controllables, but I actually lived that. Like, what can I control? I, and I literally matured in that moment. And the midst of this prayer, like, I can't control if he plays me. I can't control how many minutes. But I promise you, when I wake up, it was like a Saturday. When I come on Monday, I'm coming into that gym, and that gym, and, and when I walk into practice, it's going to be like it's my national championship game. Wow. And I can control that. And I took all that anger and all that frustration, and I channeled it, and I was the hardest working SOP. I mean, I was taking charges. My little butt was in there rebounding amongst the big guys yeah. and everything. And I would get during that time, I was not playing. This is what happened for weeks. I wasn't playing. and But I, I, I had literally changed my mindset. And I was like, I'm going to dominate whatever I could dominate. I remember getting to the gym so early that I had to shoot in my street clothes because they didn't even put my jersey in the locker room. What? I would shoot 
and by the time anybody else would get there, I'd be lathered up. I remember one time a manager, I tried to give him a rebound. He's like, man, I'm not wasting my time. He don't even play. So that's where I was. Wow. But I just stayed with it. And I remember, ironically enough, we played Stanford again. It was a home-and-home. Home. Somebody turned their ankle. And, you know, coaches tell you about body language and all that. Like, this time I stood up at the bench, and I remember looking at my dad square in his eye. And, like, I know my body language said, you're putting me in this game. And without thinking, he put me in the game. And he couldn't take me off. And I remember just being prepared. You know, I came in, I hit, like, three threes. I had, like, three rebounds. We were down six. We went from being down six to up 12. Wow. And I just remember walking to the bench and all my teammates looking at me, all the coaches looking at me and my dad looking at me. One, they were shocked, like, where the hell did this come from? But two, <laughs> that respect. Yeah. And the thing that I tell young people is, is, like, that moment right there that I hope everybody experiences. Because when somebody, when, when you have to earn that, like, you can only earn that. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, nobody gave that to me. I had to pick myself up, wipe the tears from my face, and I had to fight and fight and fight a little more to get that moment. So that was kind of my my college experience and, you know, just how it started off, but how it kind of molded me and really shaped the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. That, you know, we, we I like what you said there about most kids when, when they have something goes wrong with the coach, their dad's out there, you know, talking to the coach. You couldn't have that, like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's real. That's real. <laughs> so, I mean, you you're looking at it internally like, wow, you know, like you talked about controlling the controllables, all those things you hear about, but then here again, you know, applying it, application, right? To me, uh, yeah. knowledge is one thing, but the application of that knowledge yeah. is wisdom. And so having, yeah. having a grown wisdom at that age, uh, really, like you said, you wouldn't change a thing about it. Like I think about what you just said when you said that, and I thought, this guy got something out of this. This guy learned. He, 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 he's got, he got what he needed out of it. You know, who knows Absolutely. if you change those, those set that set up, who knows, uh, you might be a pushover today. Who knows? But For I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm glad, like you said, man, you're using it to help young people as well that you, that you mentor and that you help develop their game. And that's, that's key, man, because if you don't learn from those things, uh, it's all for nothing and it's a shame, but I'm glad you did. Now the player development space that you're in right now, coach, uh, who influenced you to go into that? Was it something that was natural? Did you, did you know somebody who was doing that? How, how did all that, all that come about? Yeah, well, you know, a lot of it is just on what I told you. Um, I just remember uh, how lonely uh, I was just uh, when, uh, when I was in college. Uh, being a coach's son, like, you don't quite fit in with anybody. Yeah. The assistant coaches didn't spend time with me because they assumed my dad – you know, was, was taking care of that. Yeah. Uh, my dad just assumed, like, everything's good because that's Nick. And then the players, you know, like, they like me, but could they trust me? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You know, they, they didn't know if they could trust me. They didn't know uh, if what they said in the locker room, like, I was going to run back and tell. So I never, like, I just, I didn't have uh, coaches uh, see what made me great as a player. I thought that I was, I thought that I was uh, ordinary. I didn't think that I was as skilled as I was. Um, and nobody ever, like, took the things that I did and was like, man, like, this dude is quick because I was quick. 
Um, I was fast. I could handle with both hands. I was super shifty, had change of speed naturally. I could stop on a dime and pull up. Uh, good rhythm shooter. I could get my shot off quick. All these things. I, I thought everybody could do all this stuff. Mm. So I think that's what motivated me is to just kind of be the person in these uh, young people's life that I needed when I was coming up. And what a difference that would have made. I felt like if I would have had somebody that that I respected in basketball that would have taken time to verbalize and spend time on what they saw to, be, to help me, that it would have it would have meant all the difference in my mentality and what I felt like I was what I was capable of. Yeah. I didn't realize that I was as good a player as I was until I became a trainer and I started training uh, overseas guys. Um, I started, uh, Ty Lawson and I did a basketball camp together and we would play an all-star game. I was, and at this time I was in my late 20s, um, early, I was probably 27, 28, 29, maybe 30, I don't remember. And he and I are going back and forth. And I I mean, this is Ty Lawson in his prime, so like I've got my hands full with him. I'm not going to sit up here and lie to you and, and make it seem like I could contain him. But, like, on the other end, I was get I was getting my fair share of buckets. And I'm like, man, hold up. Like, I'm training these pros. And, like, I mean, they, they're working hard every day and we're playing one-on-one. Not Ty Lawson, but some of these overseas guys. And I'm just beating them, like, in my sleep. I'm not even trying. <laughs> and it wasn't until then. And that's the first time I ever really heard people – compliment me and talk about like oh my god you get your shot off quick and how do you do this and how do you do that and then I started training these guys and I would expect them to do it because it was easy to me and they're looking like man that's hard you can't do that you're really good yeah and I was like man if if I would have had that at 15 um what would my what what would my career look like and so like I want to reach and inspire and be able to be that person in as many uh young basketball players life as possible that's great. You know, when people say, uh, be the change that you want to see, that's what that is. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. what's personified right there. It's not just a yeah. cool, cool little saying that we're going to say for the next couple months because we want to see a uh, change in our society. It's something you got to live by every day. Uh, be, yeah. be the change you want to see. So that, that's great, man. Another, you know, another solid point. And I'm here again, glad you're dropping these jewels because – uh, I'm, I'm really tempted to put this on my players' podcast as well because I have a player a podcast for players, and I and I really think high school players, college players need to hear this. Uh, I just really do. I, th- I think it'll help them tremendously. Now, do you do you recall like a memorable moment in your career as far as in the, in the player development space where you realized the impact that you could really have? Yeah, um, I mean, I think it was just early on. Um, I've just always, you know, I think that, you know, um, I think that everything I went through in college, it allowed me to develop like an emotional IQ. Yeah. Um, and so I think that like I have that and then I obviously have the passion for basketball and obviously like my, like the influence of my faith. Um, I just able to connect with them off the court emotionally and then have to, you know, help them develop their skill. And that's kind of always been my approach yeah. um, to get them to trust me, um, to make them comfortable where they're at, 
and let them know that I accept them where they're at. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I think that like the, if I had to, um, if I had to um, really like break it down, I think that my faith, what it does for me, I think that the more time you invest in your relationship with God, if you're a person of faith, the more you begin to see in other people what God sees in them. And so, like, if somebody walks into my gym, I don't see them for the – this guy comes to mind, this, we, Austin Mueller. We used to call him Psycho T because he looked just like uh, Psycho T from North Carolina. Uh, Hansborough. He walks into my gym, seventh grade, big feet, he's clumsy, he's awkward, he's slow. Um, he's tripping over himself and I'm like, man, this kid can be good. Like I can see it. I can see. And his high school coach thought I was crazy. His high school coach told him that at best he was probably going to be, uh, you know, a low, you know, NAI, you know, because he was just like, man, you're, you're a slow, uh, post player. I'm like, you're not a post player. You're a guard. I'd have him work out with the guards and he hated it, but he kept working. And long story short, he ended up getting um, a scout. He, he ended up going to the University of Wyoming. Wow, wow! And so I think that's 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 always been something that I've been able to do is just see people for who they should be, who they can be as a person, as a basketball player, and that's allowed me to have a connection and really get the best out of them. Yeah, you know, I've I've coached a ton of kids that went to the next level and from high school to college. And when you say NAIA to Division One like that, that's a huge jump. But it's a yeah. it's a jump I believe a lot of kids have in them. If somebody believes in them, if somebody works with them and takes the time with them. Not that there's a problem with playing NAIA Division Two, yeah. hey, JUCO. I mean, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's something that not I, at all. Yeah, we we, we we sometimes get caught up in that. But I, what the point I'm trying to make is like, if a kid is playing at one level but you see him as a finished product and that finished product is something that's even more than what he realized. Then you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. You're doing the right thing. Yeah. And I think that's super important because that's how, that is how I approach coaching young people. I see them as a finished product. Although I know they're not, although I know they need to skill up and, and get the game up a little bit, their IQ, I get all that. But if I don't treat them as if they're already where they're going to be at, I'm going to take my foot off the gas and treat them right. like, yeah, you're all right. Yeah, that was good. Oh, man, just, yeah, yeah. Man, dang, you got it, man. You, and just celebrate every dunk or whatever. Uh, and, and that's, that, I mean, which is, here again, all that, you can celebrate all that, but got to have a mindset of, of a vision for them. Like you're talking about a reflector of their identity is really what it is. Man, yeah. to, to be able to reflect, somebody's identity back to them, a mirror of sorts to show them. That's super powerful, man. That goes, goes beyond the game. It goes beyond anything that, uh, that athletics can provide. That is just so, it's awesome. I'm glad you're saying all yeah. these things. Cause I, I feel, I feel all that. And I've, and I've done it like for the last 20 years, man, I've, I've been through that. So I see it and I, and I hear you now, uh, your culture, when people walk into the gym that you're in or your gym, your spot, mm -hmm. your space, do you have a specific culture with your training? Do you guys know what to expect? How, how does that work? Yeah, no, nah, absolutely. It, it is um, different. It's kind of countercultural to today's training, to today's kids and everything. Um, one of the things that, that I was most proud of um, 
is when I was uh, in Denver, I took the demographic that was less likely to like subscribe to hard work. We were in a fluid, like I had a gym in a affluent uh, suburban area of Colorado Highland Ranch, and yeah, these kids were um, in the summer. I would do workouts. Um, and that's not the only place I did workouts. I, I spread them out all over. But um, they would do workouts. In this particular gym, we'd have two workouts a day. And so during the summer, I had a skills, year-round skills academy, which I loved. But in the summer, we would have workouts uh, from like 9 to 10.30. And then a uh, different age group from 10.30 to 12. And then I came back and did the same thing from 1 to 4. But I did that so parents would have different options. Yeah. These kids, you know, like born with a silver spoon in their mouth, you know, entitled, labeled entitled, um, lazy, don't have to work any. They were coming twice a day, like drenched in sweat, <laughs> having like having their mom bring them lunch. Yeah. And so for me, like what I try to the, the vision that I try to have. Um, when I'm working with, with young athletes is sweat and smiles, yeah. you know, like that's what I'm looking for. That's my visual. You know, I, I want them sweating, like basically just that they're, they're working and they're putting in work and they're going game speed, but they're also enjoying it. You know, I yeah. want it to be something that they come back to. And that's very, very hard. It sounds easy, but it's hard to create an environment where you're pushing them, you know, because I, I, and pushing them a lot of times past where they can go, but they're enjoying it and they want to come back. Creating that culture, creating that feel is something that I feel, as I look back, that, that I feel um, really good about creating. And then the other thing is just creating an environment where they, have, they, they see mistakes as they should. You know, mistakes is something that we have to go through. Those aren't, something, those aren't things that we should avoid. Those aren't things that we should shy away from. Yeah. And just creating that type of player because I believe, like you said, and you talk about translating, I believe that that translates not only to the games, but that translates to life. Yeah. And I even stop and I'll tell, you know, kids when I'm talking to the really younger kids and they just start working. I was like, man, if I took the most aggressive version of you that makes multiple mistakes and I took the version of you that makes no mistakes, but you do everything perfect, like which one do you think is going to start? Which one do you think is going to average 20 points? Which one do you think is going to get a job? Which one do you think would be CEO? The one that stays in his box? Yeah, you're working hard, but you don't make a mistake of this one that's aggressive. You know, I tell, uh, you know, I tell a lot of my developing players, whether they're early high school, you know, their parents start shooting off their stats. You know, and I said, how many turnovers did he have? Yeah. I want him to make turnovers. Like, because I, I, he's got to figure his game out. You're yeah. telling me, you're screaming at him by, about making a turnover. He's 11 years old. <laughs> I want him to make that turnover. Yeah, yeah. Because he needs to make that turnover. So now he knows, okay, when I drive in here next time, this is I got to split the defense. I got to slow step. Yeah. I got to come to a two-foot stop. But the first stage is making that mistake. So just creating that culture, you know, where they're aggressively learning from their mistakes as well. Wow. that That's, like you said, kind of counterintuitive in a sense. Yeah. Because – we, we, we want the perfect player, although we're not the perfect coach, for sure. Yep. Uh, and then you talk about parents and the pressure they put on kids to not make those mistakes. But those mistakes are like you're saying. It's what teaches you. It teaches you the game because 
you know what you're doing wrong and you're going to learn from it. You know, if you're doing the right things, if you're, you're putting the ax to the grind. So, yeah, it's really counterintuitive to say, I want him to make that turnover. He has to learn, not saving him from the flames, if you will. So that's, that's, yeah. that's great, man. That's really good stuff. Now, so I'm assuming mentorship is part of all this, like that process, because what you're telling me, it seems like mentorship is, is big in this because you can't, I, I don't know, to get buy-in, it always has to me. It's always been, you know, you build relationally first, and then you ask, mm-hmm. him to, then you ask him to run through the wall. You can't ask him to do yeah. all that if you don't build that. So, how how important yeah. is, is mentorship to you as far as that's concerned? I mean, it's just a part of like my everyday life. Um, you know, um, I'm the same way. I know um, it, it's funny. I kind of get a kick out of. You know, my past always says, don't let people label you because when they label you, they limit you and what you can mm-hmm. become. Yeah. And people, a lot of times with me, get frustrated because they're trying to figure out, figure me out. <laughs> and it's just like, when you try to, so when you try to put all your energy into figuring somebody out, sometimes that shields you from getting to know them. Yeah. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Like it's yeah. like this is like like when you just get to know some it's it's more fun the other way. Yeah. When you just get to know somebody and then you get to find out who they are, it's it, it's better, right? But like so for me, people want so badly to put me in this Christian box, you know, because I've got this book coming out or I, I put inspirational quotes or you know I talk about my faith and I am that, but I am also the like most competitive. Uh, yeah. hard work and just I, I guarantee most of the players that I've trained if you ask them by far who is the most intense person that they've worked out with it would be me who is the person that's pushed them the hardest it would be me And but I'm also like a big teddy bear as well I think you have to be both so I'm the same way like I know how hard I'm going to have to push you so like I know that I have to have a relationship where we develop trust where we develop authenticity where we develop a relationship where, man, even if this guy pisses me off, like, I'm not going to quit, yeah. you know, because now I leverage that to push you beyond where you can go, right? Because a lot of players come to you or they come to me. And, like, I'm working with this young man, Colin Smith. Colin Smith wow. right now is um, he's uh, he's six seven, athletic, can shoot, can handle. He's a top 50, top 40 prospect. Yeah, but again, yeah. like I said earlier, like when I'm looking at him, I'm looking at him and realizing like Colin is seven, sixteen, seventeen. Colin, by the time he's twenty three, there's no reason, God willing, he stays healthy that he shouldn't be a multimillionaire living out of his dreams as an NBA player. Wow. Now Colin wants to go to the NBA. Colin dreams about going to the NBA, but Colin has no idea how hard it's going to be for him to get to the NBA. And so because of the relationship that I've developed with Colin, when we work out and he thinks he's going as hard as he can, and I'm like, nah, that's embarrassing. That's not it. Nah, you got to go harder. Like, if you if you continue to go at that level, you can just leave the gym and don't come back until you want to go harder. I've developed a relationship with him to where I can do that. And it's because of, you know, what we developed. And that has to, to do with, you know, that to me that's the foundation of mentorship, just investing in that relationship but for me it's not just the mentorship with them it's the mentorship that i've had it's i'm I'm such a um advocate of mentorship because like i was blessed with amazing mentors and i sit there and i I often you know make sure acknowledge the guy that i don't take that for granted 
you know, starting with my dad. How many people have a dad that was a college coach? But not only was he a college coach, my dad, uh, you know, my dad grew up in the 60s as a black man and overcame the segregation, overcame segregation and all that. Like, I just wonder, like, if my dad's older self could go back and tell people around when he was 14, 15, 16 that he's going to be a Division One head coach in a Pac-12. Yeah. Like what they would do, like 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 what they would think, or some of the you know racism that he's encountered growing up. You know, my dad came up in the middle of the racism. You know, so to have somebody like that as a mentor and develop those intangibles, I don't take that for granted. But even within basketball, my dad worked with Bill Self. He worked for Eddie Sutton. Chauncey Billups is like a a big brother to me, and yeah. has, has invested his time into allowing me to be a mentor. Mm-hmm. I'm able to lead and mentor because of the people that have that I've mentored. And as I mentor people, I'm a big advocate for helping them identify people to mentor. Yeah. So when you talk about the culture of me training, one of the things that I always do is quickly identify this is a really good high school player. And then here uh, is, a, is a really good seventh grade player that really looks up to him. And so I would have Eric Garcia, who's a professional player, um, overseas that started at Wofford, uh, was a, uh, one of the best point guards in their history. When he was in high school, there was a kid named Sam Masson that looked up to him that thought he was the coolest thing. But I molded Eric to mentor and helped him mentor and teach him how to, you know, text Sam and, and, and see how his game was. Hey, Sam has a game over here. I remember one time Eric was playing an all-star game and he didn't take it serious and Sam came to watch said, man, like Sam came all the way over here with his parents to watch you playing this all-star game that you didn't take serious. Obviously, like it was a teachable moment, but just really developing that. And what's crazy is the cycle of that. I mentored Eric. Eric went on to be a professional basketball player. He mentored Sam along with myself. Now Sam is at Northern Colorado, a junior. He was the Gatorade player of the year in Colorado. And I've had a kid that's like four years under Sam. Now Sam mentors him. So it was cool to kind of see that mentorship just kind of, you know, just work, it, work its way down. Yeah. No, you're, you're, you're saying a lot of things there when it comes to uh, the greatest form of leadership to me is who can you multiply yourself in? And so like, yeah. if you can multiply yourself into others to kind of repeat what you did with them, paying it forward, paying it back, however you want to put it, that's deep. And that's, that's, that's life. That's real living. So, yeah, I hear what you're saying, man. And, and you talk about, you know, some of these young cats coming up, Colin Smith, man. Hey, I've seen that kid. I've seen him, Harrison Ingram, no Shelby. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a dangerous crew out there. I just had to say that because you, you mentioned that kid's name, and that's some dangerous players that you're working with there. And to have them to be able to look up to somebody who can guide them won't just be about potential. It'll be like I get firsthand knowledge of what I have to look forward to. And we in good and in bad. Because that's mentorship. Mentorship is to say, I can help you to progress and I can help you to avoid certain pitfalls. And I just think that's really important. So what you're explaining to me, my, you, know, you kind of answered my next question anyways about educating other player development uh, coaches or, or whoever's in that space how to, to, to kind of uh, operate in. And I think that's something that if you, if you want to get into this space – which there's a lot of people in it, and it's kind of flooded. Yeah, it's oversaturated. It a little bit. Yeah, it's oversaturated. Yeah. However, 
you can set yourself yeah. apart by doing these things. You can really set yourself yeah. apart. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I'm glad you said that because, you know, again, it goes back to what we talked about, even whether it's college coaching or whatever, like, what is it that you stand for? Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember when I tried to expand and hire people and everybody said, everybody said they wanted to teach life lessons. They really need to understand what that means. Yeah. One, like, for me, one of the things, I'm no saint. You know, I don't ever want to project myself to act like I'm better, um, like I'm morally better than the next person. But if I come, if somebody looks at me like that, one of the reasons that I've been able to uh, tra transform into a better version of myself from a moral standpoint and a character standpoint is just because of the people that I mentor. You know what I mean? Because, like, I don't want to be a hypocrite. Yeah. You know, like, I think that, like having people, if you really care about those people you look up to, you know, like those people that I looked up to and their parents are looking at me, you know, thanking me for the impact I had. If they had to, you know, turn on the news and see uh, a picture of me in jail for some sort of domestic abuse charge or uh, for drinking and driving or whatever it is, you know, like how could I go back and look those people in the face? They hold they, the kids that I mentor don't understand how much they hold me accountable you know, just as much, maybe even more than I hold them accountable just for, for being in my life. So, like, they have, I think that the really good leaders that I've been around, you know, Chauncey Billups was the teammate of the year in 2013, the, the best leader that I know personally, you know, but he leads himself and he holds himself accountable. Yeah. And all the great coaches that I've been around, Bill Self and Coach Sutton and great basketball people, Chauncey, um, I think so many times my advice to, to people in player development is it's easy to get caught up in the, the you know, just being, you know, the, the skills and the terminology and all that kind of stuff. But I've learned more about how to treat people and how to be a leader. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'll take the coach that knows how to lead people over the coach that can draw up a play any day of the week. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, I think that that's great that people, they're so, I, I, see, I see so many people that are passionate about watching the game and doing all those things as they should. But, man, you should be investing just as much time into, if not more, into having your mentors and people that you look up to help you develop as a leader of young men and young women. And then all that other stuff becomes way easier. Yeah. No, it's... It, everything else will become second nature because it's something that you've done repetitiously. You, yeah. you got your reps in of how to drop a play. You got your reps of how to make adjustments, how you do your slobs and your blobs and your DHOs and all, you, you know I mean? All that terminology like you're talking about, like that stuff you've already programmed yourself. If you have to learn leadership, you can then yeah. just rest on your skill set that you already have and grow in leadership, grow in interpersonal yeah. relationships. Like you talked about your EQ, growing your emotional intelligence, growing those things because that's what's going to keep you where you're at. Your knowledge of the X's and O's, the people you know, your your connections, your network might have got you where you're at. But what's going to keep you where you're at is exactly what you're talking about, Nick. That's where it's, that's that's yeah. where you you become not not uh, they they just can't let you go because you've you've woven yourself into the fabric. With the players, yeah. with the whole, you know, with wherever the program organization is. And so 
I appreciate you saying that because that's it runs up this the alley of my belief system of how I coach my philosophy all that so yeah great stuff man now I want to ask you about your book God in Basketball uh, just kind of run down what, what it's what it's uh, truly meant and set out to do and then what inspired you to create that yeah so I mentioned I was at Iowa State and uh, you know I was at Iowa State and it was just uh it was just a complete uh god just took me and just <laughs> forget a comfort zone like yeah you ain't gonna have no comfort at all we're gonna <laughs> remove you so far from your comfort zone in every way possible you know like i had been in player development and started my own brand in denver and i started in oh eight ish oh i don't remember oh eight let's say and I did everything that I feel like I could do. I did everything that I, I, I went, um, I went so far beyond what my dreams were. Yeah. Um, like I, I crushed that and I did everything that I felt like God needed me to do. And it was a point where like, I knew that God was calling me for more, but I was so comfortable. Like I, I, I had got to the point where in Denver, I'd go to a game man. And I couldn't even watch the game because everybody knew me. Everybody was showing me love. I went anywhere and, you know, everybody knew me. And I was just like that guy. Um, everybody regarded me as like, you know, if you're training in Colorado, this is the guy. Did everything. Um, you know, was making decent money. And I just knew deep down God was calling me for more. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. This is too good. <laughs> and, and so... Yeah. I went from that, and God kind of just kept nudging at me. And so I was like, maybe I should get into college coaching. And I knew that in order for me to do that, I'd have to be a GA, a graduate assistant. Now, being a graduate assistant, you know, like most of the time, those guys are like 24, 25. I was 36. Jeez. And it was an interesting dynamic because, like, everything that I had done in terms of mentorship and leadership, that didn't leave me. Yeah. But the players were kind of looking at me like, you're just a GA. So why should we listen to you? Yeah. And I could tell that there was a need for something. Like I would see guys that uh, just, uh, you know, they were depressed. I needed, I saw guys that were, uh, didn't know how to handle success. I saw guys that didn't uh, ignore the character development that they needed to be able to sustain the success that they were having on the basketball court. So yeah. they weren't listening to me. Like before in Denver, I'm speaking to kids. I'm, you know, having Bible studies every Sunday. Like I'm having coaches have me come in and speak to their kids. Now I didn't have that. So to, mm -hmm. to, for therapy for me and to like kind of relieve my frustration, I just began writing in my journal. Yeah. Like, what do these players need right now? Yeah. Um, and it turned into, and at, at that time, I was mentoring some girls on the girls' team. And they're like my little sisters. And just like little sisters, you know, they're all in my business. You know, like, what are you writing? What is this? You know, whatever. So I started sharing it with them. And I was like, yeah, you know, I think it'd be cool to write a book one day. And they started reading it. And they were like, this is really good. Like, this really helps me. Yeah. It helps me with my faith in God, and it helps me as a basketball player. You know, like the Bible for a lot of us, especially players that age, it's, it's tough for them to digest. And they're like, oh, now I can understand it because what I would do, like I would relate like biblical stories, biblical principles, and I would like tie it into it in something that we can relate to as basketball players. 
Yeah. And so from that point on, these these uh, little girls on the young women, I should say, at Iowa State on the girls team, they became my accountability partner, and they would come in there like a few times a week to make sure that I was writing and uh, doing everything for this book. And and here we are, two years later, and it's out. So basically, it's just uh, it's called God in Basketball: An Athlete's Playbook to Navigating Life with God's Word, and it's just 51 basketball-themed devotionals, um, designed, written two and four, you know, competitive, kind of hip-hop culture, uh, basketball players, our fans are just, you subscribe to that lifestyle. You know, I didn't want to write to some 35-year-old soccer mom, I'm writing to a 17-year-old you know, kid that hoops or the seven, or the basketball trainer or the basketball coach that hoops, you know, talking to them in ways that they can understand. You know, I, like one of the uh, one of the devotionals is, is talking about how I was in a workout and this kid at Iowa State kept missing his jump hooks. And he kept missing his jump hooks in a workout because we were hitting him with the dummy pad. He would go up for the jump hook and every time he peeked down at the dummy pad, so after about the eight minutes, I pulled him to the side and I was like, "Why are you looking at the dummy pad? Is the dummy pad is the dummy defender, so to speak, gonna block your shot? No, it's just there to bother you, but it can't stop you from scoring." And I just correlate that to like how in life, like we get off track and we get the devil is hitting us with this pad, and we get so caught up in that little uh, the dummy defender that we lose focus of what God is trying to do. And that's the reason that we don't get what we want out of life. And every now and then, the same way I went to that player and said, why are you looking at this dummy? This dummy can't stop you from blocking your shot. Stay focused on your goal. And this guy went on to make 10 jump hooks in a row. Every now and then, we need to, like, take a step back. And God is saying that to us. Like, man, I know, like, this is happening. I know that's happening. But I got you. You stay focused on the goal that I have for you. And everything's going to work itself out. And every every devotional kind of is attached to um, a Bible verse. There's uh, questions at the end to really get you to ponder deep. One of the things that I think is really cool is each um, devotional has a soundtrack. Um, you know, I, I love music. I grew up. My favorite rapper is Jay-Z. Like, I'd be lying if I shut up here and said I listen to Kurt Franklin and uh, gospel music all the time. Yeah, but yeah, at yeah. the same time, like, that is a part of my everyday. And I think there's a lot of people, especially young people, that don't realize there's some good quality, wholesome, Christian music in whatever genre that they like, yeah, you know, whether sure. it's rap, you know, like in Lecrae or a guy named D1, or whether it's like, you know, kind of like the hip hop club bangers, you got Corn Hawthorne. So like every, every devotional has a song and then you can go on a website and you can download the playlist, whether you purchase the book or not. And then the, the, the last thing that I think is really cool um, is my sister is like taking the basketball world by storm. She's a content creator. Um, she's created this this brand called Foreverland, and I mean it's crazy down here in Dallas. Everybody's wearing these shirts, like the top players. They warm up in them, they hoop in them. But she's also a big time uh, photographer, and she just she played basketball. She's actually a better a better shooter than me. But so because of like her basketball instincts, she takes amazing what I call cultured basketball images. Yeah. Like so. Every devotion in the book is going to be attached to a color, um, full-page 
uh, culture basketball image. So when you open that book, like you're going to see like uh, a player in a locker room getting ready for a big game. You're going to see a player reacting, you know, diving on the floor for a loose ball and his teammates helping them, helping them up. So you're really going to get all the feels that we, you know, that, that we see, uh, identify with and subscribe with as people that subscribe to basketball culture. So I really think that will kind of get you engaged and really get more out of, out of the book. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that because that's you're giving everybody a rundown of what this this book is really meant for. Because sometimes the books come out and we don't really know the purpose. We just know yeah. like what people are saying about it. But sometimes that doesn't add up to like purpose. And I think that's I don't know, a purpose-driven lifestyle is always going to win because yeah. you're going to accomplish something. It's not like you're just doing it to throw it out there in the ether and see if it lands and it hits and you know it's not like it's like some musicians right they go out or groups i should say not musicians because ain't a lot of musicians right now just trying to be yeah. real about that uh, as i'm a musician so i kind of know what a musician is and what an artist is and a performer just throws out a bunch of music and see whatever hits hits but when you're writing a book with the intentionality and with the purpose of impacting lives through the word of god and the game that we all love uh man that's relevant that's relevant and it's real. And I think there's nothing, to me, quite honestly, there's nothing more real than, than God and basketball, man. Like, that's the yeah. perfect mix for me, man. Like, well, you know, I'm going to tell you a story that's going to blow your mind. Um, and, you know, I think that if you're living life right, you know, you're, you, you better be prepared for God to push you out your comfort zone. Yeah. And so, like, me writing this book, like, come on, man, I'm, I'm a hooper, you know, like, what? That's what I'm thinking. But, like, so I go and do it. And, like, the thing that I would tell anybody that is, like, and, I'm, man, that'd be cool if somebody's listening and, like, they've been kind of, like, trying to ignore God's nudge and push them to the deep end and just go for it is, you know, man, just, you know, just do it. You know, just, you know, just the, the only person you have to convince is yourself. Yeah. So for the longest, like this project was on hold because, and I say this line in the in the book, like God got perfect credit. <laughs> like you don't need when God finances a dream out of you, you don't need to go get a co-signer. So right, God right, gave right. me His dream to do this. He put this dream inside of me, and and it, it was delayed because I was going externally. I was like going to tell this person and that person. You know, like, man, I think I should write a book thing. And they're going to be like, oh, my God, you should do it, bro. Like, for sure, you should do it. And so when that didn't happen, like, I kind of got discouraged. Yeah. And so what I learned is, is like, man, when you're trying to do something and you're trying to, and you feel like God's calling you to be a trailblazer and go through, like, uh, go go to the, through the unknown, the only person you have to convince is yourself. Yeah. Like once you convince her, once I convinced myself, it didn't matter if anybody else thought it was stupid. Yeah. But as I got to that point, once I convinced myself, like one of the things that kind of affirmed it, I went to this um, this Christian coaches um, networking deal, and they started telling a story I've never heard of, and most people haven't. But James Naismith invented basketball. James Naismith was the inventor of basketball in 1891. But how the roots of our game is God in basketball. James Naismith was a strong Christian and he was basically what we would call today a, a youth pastor. And so he's sitting there in the church 
and he's trying to like tell him all these biblical principles and verses and different things like that and even in 1891 kids wasn't paying attention in that <laughs> short attention span yeah. he gets so frustrated he's like man these kids aren't paying attention what can I do to engage them yeah. he said I'm going to invent a game the game we know today is basketball he invented wow. basketball to win souls for the master and develop Christ like character Wow. And so once I heard that, it was in the middle of me writing this book. I was like, that's a sign. And that's how I came up with the name God in Basketball. It's like the ultimate collaboration. Yeah. I was like, man, people need to know this story. Like the roots of our game literally is God in Basketball. And nobody can nobody can tell us otherwise. So like without God, like, you know, without a godly man like James Naismith, like there might not be basketball. True, true. Nah, man, that's real. I mean, I like what you talk when you use the word collaboration. Uh, I mean, and I don't want to get all preachy, but I can because uh, it's my podcast. But uh, so, like the collaboration, what you're talking about, I think a lot of people view a relationship with God as He wants your cooperation, and mm-hmm. I look at it from the standpoint of no, He wants to collaborate with us. He's not. He's, mm-hmm. he's not saying just do as I say and, and you won't burn in hell or whatever right like right it's really collaboration that's when you know when you have a true uh relationship with him your your identity is, is sealed in him and understanding that and i think that's what this book is is, is set to do too is to seal your identity and who you yeah. are and know that it's hidden in him so i love that collaboration not cooperation I, that's that comes to my mind every time i hear that word collaboration and god and basketball well, and all that it's great yeah, and I would just say this, man, like, for me, you know, like, if, you know, like, I, on people that maybe aren't believers or they don't know if they're believers or they have doubt, I apologize um, because I feel like so many of us that are believers, man, have turned you guys off, and I would yeah, be turned yeah. off, too, yeah. um, because of what you said, man, like, we want to we present God to people like he's a judge. Like he's just like, it's no fun. It's, it's not relational more than anything else. Like God is love. And I don't yeah. feel like, I don't feel like we are presenting him properly because like you lead with love and all that other stuff will take care of itself. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, yeah, it's love and it's a relationship. It's the most consistent friend you'll ever have. It's the best the best friend you'll ever have. And even when I wrote this book, I'm no preacher. I don't want to tell anybody, you know, like your relationship with God is your relationship with God. You know, whether you go to church, whether you watch it online, whether you sing in a choir, whether you read a devotional book, whether you listen to a certain type of music. Like you figure that out. You know, my relationship with God is should and it's supposed to look completely different than yours and then the next person. So if everybody's relationship with God is completely different, how could somebody else ever tell somebody else what that relationship should look like? Yeah, no, you're right. And that, and that, that apology is somewhat warranted because it is true. You know, you see a lot of people... There's nothing wrong with having your Bible in your hand as long as you're not thumping people over the head with it. And, right. And, and I think that's, unfortunately, that's been kind of the status, you know, over years past. It's changing for sure. It's, tre- it's trending in the right direction. It really is. Yeah. And so I believe that as the more real we get with people, the more real 
they'll see Absolutely. God. And then that's got to be it. We can't fake. We can't uh, can't front. We have to be genuine and not pretentious. So, yeah, I feel you completely on that. Now, I want to ask you something real quick as far as yourself, you know, internally, you know, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. What have you learned about yourself throughout your career with working with young players and with and with some of the, some of the most talented players in the world? Yeah. Um, found out by myself, uh, the most important thing, you know, I'll start with the substance, the things of substance, because I was going to trip over that, the things of substance hurt. Um, I found out, and I feel good about what's most important to me. To me, basketball is fellowship. To me, basketball is a relationship. And being in competitive basketball minus the fellowship, I'd rather not be in it. I like wow. they, they, I have to have both. I remember we played Texas Tech when I was at Iowa State. We upset them. They were number eight in the country. We won by 17 points. And I remember, like, everybody happy jumping around because we won. I was, like, sad. Like, I was, like... Okay, like, yeah, we won, but, like, I just felt like the vibe wasn't right. Like, I felt like, you know, we you know, we weren't – the players could be working harder. Um, I felt like, you know, we weren't really connected, you know, like – but everybody else, like, hey, we won. But I'm like, yeah, but we don't have this. And when you have that, like, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to win, but I'm greedy. I want to win, and I want to, like, experience everything else that God has along with that. Yeah. You know, I don't want to just settle for that. There's so much more to it. Uh, so, for me, like, yeah, just, uh, you know, like, the fact that I stayed true to what's important to me. I walked away from Iowa State because I didn't feel like I could have both. Yeah. I, like turn down college jobs because I believe that there's more than just the winning, even more than just the money, even more than just the clout. Not to say I wouldn't love to have some of those things, but like, I'm not going to settle for having those things minus the relationships, minus the fellowship, minus the genuine real relationships that God wants me to have. Wow. So like that, that's probably the the thing of substance in terms of like training um, I think that just realizing that I'm really good at this. Um, I'm really good at this. Like, I can be better. I think I have my niche. Like, my niche in player development is playing with pace and change of speed. I think those are things that I'm really good at teaching, different things like that. Um, but, you know, I've been able to work out Zimmer for debt for the last six summers. Um, I was able to work out Trey Young um, before um, – he went to Oklahoma his freshman year, which was crazy because we ended up, I ended up coaching against him. And when I worked out Trey, you know, like I felt like I held my own in terms of working him out. Like I know that he was impressed. His dad was impressed. You know, I'm not going to sit up here and make it seem like I taught him something that he didn't already know at that point in time. Like he had been working, like Chris Paul was a, Chris Paul, he talked to Chris Paul like two times a week. We worked out with him a few times. So it wasn't like I was teaching him something he didn't already know. Yeah. The thing that I feel good about, and this is kind of like what I want to do with the book, is I I really think that I want to have holistic training yeah. where we're developing, you know, basically what James Naismith, a lot of what James Naismith envisioned. I want to develop on the court, but I want to develop the character of 
God off of the court. Nice. Um, and I think that I was able to do that for Trey. I know I was, matter of fact. His dad called me and thanked me and even said he could see a change in him. Like, we would get up and we would go to breakfast in the morning and pray and then just do a little Bible study and just kind of, like, have biblically principled leadership talk yeah. and different things like that. And then we get after it and work out. So, like, that's kind of where I can see myself continuing to go. And then the last part of that is just my work with Chauncey Billups. Um you know, to have his approval and to actually, I actually had to work him out. That's when it was validated Jeez. that I'm legit. Like, he <laughs> called me one night and was like, hey, uh, work me out tomorrow. Like, kind of like no time to prepare. And he, he was like, he, he enjoyed it and we did it again. We did it multiple times. Um, you know, so I think those are the two things that, that I've learned about myself on the journey. It's amazing. That's amazing what you're talking about. I love that whole idea of, you know, relationship. Uh, fellowship, equaling basketball, like that experience. I feel. I, yeah, I, feel, I mean that's the way it is, right? Yeah, when yeah, you think yeah. about like what you think about your best friends, or maybe you know everything yeah. you think about, it goes back to relationship and fellowship. Yeah, other than my biological family and and, and all that, and my my family at home, uh, my basketball family is right there. Like yeah. those relationships I've built, like I. My whole philosophy of coaching is always going to be relational, always going to be relational, relational, relational. And then the fellowship, like you said, like, I'm, you know, the constant contact, especially in times like this where everybody's kind of distanced physically, uh, I think we need, we, we've, I've moved into a place of, no, I'm not going to get distant from my communication. That's going to grow. Right. Physically, we not, may not be able to chop it up and break bread or whatever, but I'm definitely going to stay, you know, in contact with people. So, yeah, I, I, I never, I don't want to say I never knew how to word it, but that, yeah. that was just great. That was really, man, really that, that ain't even, that's not even me, man. That was like literally <laughs> in my prayer time with God one morning. And I just kind of heard this little, you know, that quiet, still voice, like, yeah. you know, yeah. basketball is your fellowship. Yeah. I was like, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is so true. I've been doing it so long. Sometimes I feel like it's just it's just my life, and that's it, and I yeah. love it. And I didn't know how to articulate it, but that's it right there. So I appreciate that as well. Now I'm going to ask you this question because you still got a long time to go, so your career ain't even nowhere near over. But I do want to kind of as an, acting, an active kind of like a plan for your legacy. And although legacy is always kind of a big word, and but it is something we need to think about because how we treat people now is going to determine that legacy, if you will, and how we're treating them and we need to take inventory of. So I would ask you, what would you want to be said of you when your career is all said and done? Man, you know what? Honestly, I don't care. And that may seem arrogant, but the reason that I don't is because, man, um, I've had to get to a point where I just had to have the peace of mind to know that I'm doing what God called me to do. Yeah, and I'm doing right by everybody that he puts in front of me to impact in basketball because I think that like when I was younger you know like I need I felt like I, it would bother me if those words or like what I like it wasn't reciprocated or it wasn't said and it would bother me I feel like I have the peace of mind in knowing that I did what I'm supposed to do and I'm living in my purpose you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'm not, I don't care. You know, like, because, you know, I may, people could be like, man, 
you know, somebody going to have something to say. Somebody can say that, you know, like I was manipulating God's word to make money. I was manip- manipulating God's word to get clients or yeah. I was this or that, or I think I'm holier than now, you know? So like for me, I, I have to, I've had to get to a place where like, I know what it is and the yeah. people that matter know what it is. Yeah. Starting with God and the people that I respect, like when, you know, like one of the things that's been really good, really that I really value about uh, this book is just the outpouring of encouragement that I've gotten from clients that I trained when they were 14 and now they're grown. And Chauncey telling me how proud of he, how proud of me he is for having the courage to write this book. And Jimmy for that. You know, same thing, you know, so like the people that that know have already expressed that. So I'm all good. You know, Nick, I appreciate your time, man. I really do. I'm so glad we did this. Uh, I'm glad I got to know you better now because this is is deep, man. And and you're you're calling all that for your life. You know, knowing what God's called you to do means so much uh, to yourself, but to others, like others that are part of the big family or part of the body to know that there are people out there looking at the game the way I am and they're doing more sometimes they're doing something about it uh, is also inspiring. So, you know, everybody listening, God in basketball, an athlete's playbook to navigating life with God's word. Uh, You know, you can pre-order it right now on Amazon. It drops on the 29th of September, correct, Nick? Yeah, yeah, it drops on the uh, 29th of September, but like you said, you can pre-order it now. Um, the best way, and, and I was going to suggest um, follow God, or, you know, obviously we have God in Basketball on uh, Twitter and Instagram, okay. but we also have a website, and that website is, like, where you can find any information for the book. Okay. I got a dope God in Basketball logo, so we're going to have the merch coming soon. But Very the good. other thing is, is, like, that's a, a resource of encouragement, you know, specifically designed to encourage those of us in athletics along along our athletic journey and our life journey. Uh, I have blogs. I have these things where I call timeouts. I put three of them out a day. I have three of them a day. Just where you can go, like, when you need to have, like, a little woo-sa moment. You know, some of them are, are like, Bible verses. One of them is a prayer. But then even, you know, even uh, a lot of them are not even biblical. A lot of them are just kind of, like, you know, things to help you get centered or just give you some encouragement. You know, one of yeah. the devotionals in the book is talking about calling a timeout. Could you imagine playing a game and not calling a timeout? Like, you get beat. I've never been around a game where there wasn't a timeout. Yeah. I think that we need to approach each day like that. Like, yeah. a, a day in the life of 2020 is like a, a, a basketball game where it's going to be runs. It's going to be, you know, so Adjustments. calling those timeouts. Yeah. We've got we've got our Mamba. I've got a Kobe Bryant five day devotional dedicated um, and inspired um, to the Mamba mentality and Kobe. Nice. All that type of stuff on there. So yeah, check the website out. And obviously you could you can purchase uh, purchase the book there. And then my social media, my personal social media is um, Culture or Die. So that's my IG and my Twitter. But yeah, so like if you you follow those channels, man, I, I believe that it'll help you stay encouraged. Oh, and the other thing. On the God in Basketball, we also got hoop stuff, too. Yeah. So I've got drills on there and film breakdowns and all that kind of stuff on there. So you can get all you need. Right. You know what, Nick? Thank you so much for your time. It's been real. Like I said, uh, you've helped me to kind of 
search not search myself to the degree where I'm be stuck in the mirror all night, but to <laughs> to really go through and re I don't know it just reinforces what I know my life has been about and what why I do what I do and when you know your why and you know that your how it just makes yeah. it so much better it really does it becomes Period. more relevant so yeah here again man thank you for your time thank you for making the time and taking the time to be on with us today yeah no doubt man and i appreciate you and man just continue to do what you're doing man we need more people with uh a knowledge of basketball and a passion for basketball but are committed to being a guardian yeah. uh for basketball man um we need as many good people in basketball for for these up-and-coming generations and not just players but coaches as possible so please continue to do what you're doing i will thank you